Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host Rebecca LaFond and in this episode we'll be talking to Dr Ewan Kirk. Dr Kirk is a very successful technology entrepreneur. He is also the founder and co-chair of Turner Kirk Trust. In this episode we talk about why philanthropy should be more than just writing a cheque, how we can put innovation and collaboration at the heart of everything that we do and why it's important to experiment and try out new ideas even if they might fail. This episode has been brought to you by our platinum sponsors Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. And now for my chat with Dr Ewan Kerr. So, hi, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I guess it'd be good just to start off a bit about you, like what you do, where'd you come from, like how you got interested in charity. Sure, okay. Um, Well, I grew up in the west of Scotland in a town called Cumbernauld, which is not a nice place to grow up. Uh, Got myself uh, an education at Glasgow University and Cambridge University. Um, Started a few companies when I was doing a a degree and a PhD. Uh, And then um, went to the dark side and joined Goldman Sachs, where I was a, a... a programmer mathematician there um, in charge of all of that sort of geeky stuff so I ran a team called the the strategists who did all of the sort of front office systems and risk management and structuring at Goldman Sachs uh, so I retired from there in 2005 as a partner and I took a year off and traveled around the world with my family and bought more guitars and went to the gym every day, which is the sort of thing that a man of my age does when we retire. And then in 2006, I started a systematic quantitative hedge fund based in Cambridge called Cantab Capital Partners with the express purpose of being the geekiest possible place I could make it Um, and we grew that up Uh, the team was sort of 60 uh, most of them mathematicians or computer scientists with PhDs writing models to predict the market we were managing five billion dollars of of other people's money and then in in 2016 I sold the firm to a Swiss asset manager and since then I've been doing a lot of different things on the boards of various companies um, investing in fintech startups Um, so but generally sort of you know I suppose doing a bit less of that 100% focused on one thing and of, and of course, one of the things that the a little bit more free time has enabled me to do is to spend a bit more time on philanthropy. Yeah. Um, so I guess, have you always been like interested in like charity work or is it something that's just come uh, now that you have retired and, and have a bit more time? It's, it's hard to do it properly unless you've got a focus. So... You know, when when I was running the firm uh, for 15 years, 
you know, it, it's an all-encompassing thing. And so, you know, there would be times where there would be various charity events or something and somebody would, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. So somebody would want to uh, buy a bus for, for, the, for the kids to take them to the wide open spaces or hill walking or, you know, to do things in the sea. Yeah. And I'd say, well, that sounds pretty cool. Cool, that's a good thing. Here's a check. Never talk to me again. Right. And it's and, and whilst, you know, that's an, that, it is a nice thing to do that. It's very unstructured. Mm. And I think one of the problems is sometimes people in charity and philanthropy do that sort of unstructured thing. And that's not really the way that I have kind of managed my life, I guess, in terms of thinking about things carefully and trying to do it properly. So when I or when we, my wife and I had more time, we decided to sort of think a little bit more carefully about what it is we could do in the philanthropic space and try and, as I say, structure it better and focus on certain things and think carefully about the value of every pound that you put into, into charity. Um, so there's a lot, I mean, there's, we can unpack a lot of things in that over the course of the next 30 minutes, I'm sure. Yeah. And I guess it'd be quite useful for, I guess, charities, because a lot of charities listen to us um, about, because I guess you're talking about the structure. How do they make things a bit more structured for people that, you know, want to get into philanthropy and don't just want to write a check? Like, how do we make it so it's, you know, there's more to it than that? Well, I I think the first time, the first, I'm sorry, the first thing that you have to do is to think about what are the things that you it's not just what do you care about um but it's what where do you have some something beyond just the money where Mm. you know where you may be able to think about things um and also it's important to remember the scale of the money that you're giving and how that can make a change. So mm-hmm. whilst whilst a lot of people think, well, you know, if if everyone gives five pounds, then that turns into quite a lot of money. But generally, not everyone does that. Um, yeah. And unless you're Bill Gates, you really can't take on the the really big problems. I mean, one of the things I, I thought was fantastic about the Gates Foundation is that they went away and thought about what are the big problems that we can afford to fix. Yeah. Now, if you're Bill Gates, you can, say, you can say, okay, one of the biggest problems in the world is malaria. I mean, it's a huge problem. You know, mm, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of young children die of malaria every single day, sorry, every single year. And that's a massive problem. But, but it was a problem within... Bill Gates's or the Gates Foundation's ability to do enough research and enough um, experiments and enough support to be able to pretty much or at least make a lot of progress in solving that. I'm not Bill Gates. I can't afford <laughs> to. I can't afford to solve malaria, um, and, I, and that is true of a lot of things. I, I use this phrase a lot, which is that a lot of problems are government-sized problems. Yeah. So it, it might be um, lack of water access in um, 
in Africa, let's say, where, where you know, lack of water, clean, lack of access to clean water is a big problem. Mm. And I know that I know that I could um, give some money to sink our well, and and that would be a good thing for that village, that group of people, because they would then have clean water, and that that would would be a good thing for them. Yeah. But it's not solving the problem of why people in the developing world don't have access to clean water. The reason they, they don't have access to clean water and we do is because of infrastructure, because of government, because of all of those things, which are just mm. a much bigger problem. So the first thing, you know, when you get into philanthropies, work out what, what are the resources that you've got and what can you what change can you affect with that? Um, mm. And so one resource that, of course, everyone's got is their time and their thoughts and their ideas. Um, what we have decided to do, which may or may not be right, and one of the things that is very important in all of these things is to realise you might be making a mistake, but what we've decided to do is invest in projects which are catalytic, which are experiments to see whether or not something might work. So that brings us to the next thing which we talk about a lot, which is this permission to fail, which mm -hmm. comes from the fact that a lot of charities, um, or let, let me approach it in a slightly different way. When somebody gives money to a charity, they want to see that that money is doing good. Yeah. Okay. You know, if you if you give money to a water charity in in the developing world, then you want to see that people have got clean water. That's why you gave the money, right? It's all yeah. very it's it's quite transactional. And whilst that's a good thing, and obviously charities do have to deliver what they say they're going to deliver, it's very hard for them to experiment and do something else. Mm. But maybe, you know, we'll take a water charity again, maybe the way that they're delivering drilling wells or getting uh, local people involved, maybe that's not the best way of doing things. Maybe there's another way of doing it. Yeah. But they can't go and experiment with that because it might fail. Right? They, might, they might go and do that. And it actually turns out that this idea that they had, that this would make it better, isn't as good as what they're currently doing. And in, you know, as, as, as always just from my background, I'm a bit of a scientist, right? And, and <laughs> certainly a bit of a geek. Um, doing experiments and having them fail is really valuable because you know that you don't do this or you don't do that, or, you know, we've definitely worked out that this is the wrong way of doing things, so maybe we'll try something else. And what we're trying to do is to make that a way of interacting in the philanthropic space so people can do experiments. Um, the, the example that we always use on this is a, um, a charity called SolarAid who are trying to uh, light, up, uh, light up villages. So they, they can get a solar panel with a battery which powers a couple of lights and a couple of mobile phone chargers and they can get them made really cheaply and delivered 
to I don't know a port in Kinshasa or something you know where where they're ready to be distributed but they but they didn't know how, what the best way to distribute it was should they give them away should they sell them should they rent mm. them should they have higher purchase agreements should they um should people basically just have them fitted in their house and then pay uh, a monthly charge, a little bit like we pay a monthly charge for electricity in the West. I mean, yeah. who knew what the right way to do it is? And so we gave them some money and said, go and run five experiments in different villages. Do it differently in each one. And we literally don't care if all of them fail because mm. you'll have learned something, right? And then you can maybe go and try something else. We don't know. And, and that's a very different way of thinking about philanthropy. Uh, you've yeah. got, it, there, are, there are some things which are hard to get funded. Um, I mean, this is true in government as well. You know, governments don't really like to try things in case they fail, because then it's on, you know, on the front page of the newspaper. You know, government wastes 50 million on a pilot project to educate children in, in the UK. Well, yes. I mean, it, it's, it's not great that that's happened. But actually, it's not a bad thing to run a pilot and find out that it fails, because then you, you're not going to do it again. So that, that ability to fail and to allow people to fail I think is important yeah that is actually so interesting because um you're so right like I work for a charity and so many times people give money and they just want Mm -hmm. to they just want the basics they just want to see it work but I do think that it's so important that we do try and we do experiment because how do we know that we're delivering the best that we can if we don't do that and Yeah, so I guess that brings me on to my next um, point because you, um, I've seen you talk a lot about like innovation and collaboration, and I guess like what does that mm-hmm. mean to you? Like, what does yeah? I, I I think the the innovation side of things is um, in general innovation is a good thing. Mm. I mean, it's it, it's brought us you know everything from fire in the wheel to iPhones. I mean, it, it's it's a good thing for for people. And whilst you should never do it for its own sake, so just innovating is not necessarily uh, a good thing. There's a great story mm. which is pro- probably apocryphal about um, NASA who spent millions and millions of dollars making a pencil which could write sorry making a pen which could write in zero gravity and the russians used a pencil <laughs> and so, so some sometimes you don't need innovation and technology solutions but sometimes it really does help and i think what you want to do or what we have at least tried to do in the tonic trust is to identify where innovative solutions might give a step change to something. So, you know, from getting um, hardcore economists involved in conservation, well, 
you know, that's not normally the sort of people you'd expect to be involved in conservation. You know, you've got an idea of somebody sort of in in shorts and a t-shirt, kind of, kind of flip flops, you know, conserving corals or something. But there's also an economic aspect to that, maybe. So maybe yeah. you can generate some innovative solutions to um, to that by involving different types of people in in the process, yeah. um, and and that's that's also the same thing with collaboration. You know, we want to see there are there are an awful lot of charities which basically do the same thing, mm. and and. It's however genteel the charity and philanthropic sector is, they're kind of competing with each other. They're competing yeah. with each other for the charitable dollar. And, and that doesn't work very well. They should be working together. They should be identifying the the big problem. You know, the, there's lots and lots of problems, particularly in the developing world, um, which are in fact based on the same underlying problem, which is there isn't really a very good rule of law and there isn't really a very good political uh, social infrastructure in each individual country. Um, or, you know, if we think of the, the problems with, uh, you know, something that's very close to my heart is sort of STEM education. And you're looking at... Uh, how children, let's just say in the UK, are educated in STEM, there's just lots of failures there. Some yeah. huge proportion of the, of the cohort coming out of school right now are functionally innumerate. You know, they, they cannot really count in, in some way. Um, and that's a big problem, as is the problem that people are... Uh, don't have good reading skills or they don't have good opportunities or all of these problems. And this is not just about funding one school to teach some children to be better at maths and engineering and technology. What we have to do is identify what are the underlying causes of that and try and work out how we can do it better. And that involves collaboration, not just between different philanthropic organisations, but also between philanthropic organisations and governmental organisations. We should be working together on this, but sadly, that seems to be quite hard to do. Yeah. Um, no, I do really agree with what you're saying there. And I think it's such an interesting and I guess also like hard um. I guess topic to think about innovation because I think yes. there's a lot of people that want to but they just don't know where to start they don't know you know what's best like as you said NASA spending all that money on yeah. on a pen <laughs> that you could just yeah. end up wasting your time and I guess what would be your advice for I guess like a charity or a philanthropic um, organization like what would you would be your advice if they want to start innovating like what's their like first step I guess I, I, I think uh, it's a hard question um, yeah and, <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> no 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 well, <laughs> hard questions are are good questions because they make you think and 
And that is the hard question that charities need to ask of themselves. Mm. Um, I think some of it is about ask experts. Okay. Experts okay. tend to know more about things than generalists. I mean, that's just, just true. Um, so ask experts and also try not to have, uh, try not to take too much account of your own view. And that's you know, what, some, things, you know, something that a lot of people, they get into um, philanthropy with a really strong view that this is the one, this is the one thing that is going to solve the problem of you know, homelessness or water access in the developing world or uh, educating people, whatever that might be, you know, or, or um, uh, curing this illness. Um, and you need to realize that maybe you haven't got the right idea. Now, I realize mm -hmm. that for the past 20 minutes, I've been saying, hey, this is what we do, and I think <laughs> this is a great idea. So, so, so I'm trying not to be hypocritical about that. What I'm, what I'm, or we're trying to push in a way is the ability for people who are experts in something to work on it. That, that I think is very important. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, even though you know we're involved in a lot of different projects, um, I never feel like it is my job to steer that project. It's not. You know, it's the job of the people who are doing the project. Um, right. It's the job of the charity who know much more about it. All we do is say, go and have a think about if, if there's any other way of doing this. If there's something that's that you've always thought might be a good idea, but you didn't have the time or the money, and then come and tell us what you think it is. And as long as it's not completely outlandish, <laughs> we'll just just say, okay, go and give it a try. Um, yeah. So I think I think for people who are getting into philanthropy or for charities themselves, they need to be willing to a think more broadly, think about whether or not they can join with other charities, work together, multiply their own um, their own resources. Secondly, they need to attack a problem which is within the resources. Mm. And secondly, try and try and raise money for doing things a little bit differently. That's that's what philanthropy is good at doing. Yeah. And do you think um, you have this viewpoint because you come from a business background? And do you think charities maybe should see it's, it's so difficult. Do, do you think charities should see their organisation as more of a business in some sense? Um, got to be quite careful around this particular topic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that everybody thought that Don, Donald Trump would be a great president because he was a businessman, and of course, right. he, he was a disaster. Mm. Um, <laughs> and and being being a businessman or a business person, I'm sorry, being a business person doesn't automatically make you good at 
lots of different things going yeah. out and it's and it certainly doesn't give you any extra insight it does sometimes cause people to have that Dunning-Kruger effect you know where they they know a little bit about something and therefore they think they're an expert um I I do not I, I don't think that um people who come from a business or financial backing background are necessarily any better at running charities than people who don't people who mm-hmm. come from the third sector are good at doing it there are there are obviously at some very basic level a charity is a business mm. so you know it's got income revenues most of which are donations and it's got outgoings which are mostly spending money on good things mm. and you definitely want to not spend more money than you've got coming in that's a pretty right. big thing. Um, and, you know, in general, you want to make sure that you invest in people and invest in infrastructure and all of those things, which are the same things that you do in a business. I just don't think that business people are particularly good at uh, running charities. Mm. The way we approach things most doesn't come from a business perspective but comes from a scientific perspective as I said before you know I'm a scientist I'm a geek you know I'm a programmer I'm a mathematician and I approach things that way which is things like evidence-led experimentation um, you know having justifications for things thinking in probabilistic terms as well is it is it worth worthwhile investing or giving to something that's only got a 10% chance of succeeding. Well, if the upside of that thing succeeding is is a hundred times better, then yeah, it definitely is. Mm. But so so it's thinking about probabilities, it's thinking about risks. That that's the only thing really that comes out of my background that is applicable, I think, to philanthropy. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we've spoken about how we need to um, add more innovation and collaboration into, you know, the sector and how there are some changes that need to be made. But who do you think needs to lead this change? Do you think it needs to be like philanthropists? Do you think it needs to be the charities or do you think it needs to be like partnerships? The philanthropists have a lot of power because they donate the money Mm. Um, and often and sadly philanthropists misuse that power so they say particularly when it's a big donation you know i am giving you a large amount of money to do x Mm. and the, the charity says gee that's a lot of money we better do x even though it may not be the right thing to do so so philanthropists philanthropists can ask for things and nudge but i think it's bad for philanthropists to be dogmatic about something yeah and say this is this is what i want to do um yeah and you can see that at its worst in american universities where people Mm -hmm. give insanely large amounts of money to build a basketball hall or, or or a building so they can have the name on the building yeah. and 
you know, when when people are donating billions of dollars to Harvard so that they can have their name on the library, I don't think that's the best use of those philanthropic dollars, really. Mm. Um, and, and I'm sure you know, the dean of Harvard, if he or she was asked, would say, well, actually, you don't really need a library. <laughs> what we need is more bursaries for students from an underprivileged background or something. But what they get is the library. So the next, the, the other people that can make the change are charities. And that's hard to do because they are at the mercy of their donors, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not it's lots of donor, lots of little donors or one big donor. Um, but they can, I think, set the tone of the conversation. So they can say, you know, we'd like to try and do this, but it might fail. But we'd mm-hmm. still like to give it give it a go because we think it's good. And you can you can ask that kind of I think as a charity, you can ask for donations with that in mind. You know, here's an innovative new way of um, you know, supporting people from underprivileged backgrounds. We'd like to give that a try. It might not work. And, and I think that's something. And then, of course, you know, you, the third thing is, is it a collaboration? And it is real. You know, yeah. the, the, the ecosystem of philanthropists and charities is very tightly intertwined. And unless the whole group moves as one in a direction, then there's no point in charities going off and saying, we'd like to do this and not bringing the philanthropists with them. Yeah. And there's not really a lot of point of the philanthropists going off and saying, we'd like to all fund this and the charities not following them in that space. So I think it really does have to be a conversation. But one of the things we're trying to do in the trust is make that conversation a bit easier. Yeah. And I guess um, it'd be quite nice to talk about your trust a bit more. So I guess where is, I guess, the trust money like concentrated? I know you've talked about STEM a little bit. And how does the, this like impact how like your funding is allocated as well? Uh, we, we have really two or three main areas that we, we tend to, to fund. So yeah. one of the one of those is STEM. The second one is conservation, which map very closely to my interests and my wife's interests. She's much more in the conservation space. I'm much more in the STEM space. But I mean, there's obviously a little bit of collaboration there as well. And early child development is another area, but that sort of that sits quite close to STEM as well because yeah. you know, of the, the whole teaching thing. So those are the areas mostly now stem can be a very broad area it can be about mm-hmm. educating people in stem or it can be supporting individual mathematical projects or um, or technology projects whether or not that's sort of modern technology and or um, uh, or or technology for the developing world. Um, we did mm. a thing with Cambridge University with their um, uh, third year engineering students where we sponsored a prize for them to do engineering for the bottom billion. So rather than, you know, we, we produce all these fantastic engineers that go out and design Formula One cars and bridges and yeah. mo- 
mobile phones and computer chips and all of those amazing things. And we are really good at doing that. And that is fantastic. But that doesn't really help people to develop stuff for that is accessible for people on a dollar a day or two dollars a day. You know, whether yeah. or not it's a better cook stove or a, a better way of making bricks. I, you know, those, those types of engineering technologies are really important. And mm. that's one of the reasons why we, we sponsored that. The, re, the other reason I have to say that we have these focuses or foci is because it makes it a little bit easier to say no to other things. Right. As as a trust, we get you know a lot of people phoning, emailing, writing letters because you know, we want to they want support for whatever it might be I mean, mm. a medical charity, um, a school, lots of different things, and it's hard when you have to say no. Right? Yeah. And and because every case is a deserving case, um, you know every single case, and we don't have enough money to support every single case because <laughs> there's just so many of them. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if it's your local dog shelter or um, water in the developing world. We just don't have enough money to do all those things or Alzheimer's research. So part of the reason to make the the trust really focused is to make it a little bit easier to say no. Mm. Right? This isn't emotionally easier for me. I mean, you know, <laughs> I find it very hard when people write a you know, lovely letter about something that really does deserve funding. You know, I can't, I literally can't fund all of them. Yeah. And that's emotionally quite hard. So having a very clear, limited set of things that you want to uh, focus on makes it emotionally a little bit easier to say no mm. and that's sort of the reason for doing it yeah well um no that makes complete sense and you know stem is a really great cause and we've talked about it a lot um on our mm-hmm. podcast and um it is so true that um you get so many people who do like engineering and stuff and they do go on to that like the top bits like my brother's um studying to be an engineer and he wants to go mm-hmm. work in space and all that type of stuff but actually yeah like yeah like everyday people also need mm-hmm. that kind of brilliance engineering too to they, yeah. they do and and look you know if if I had the opportunity to work in space engineering I'd be on it I mean sounds like yeah. a fantastic job <laughs> good luck yeah. to your brother because I mean I think that's that's really cool but and and of course you know I'm not saying that everybody should work on solutions that work for the developing world but we just need some of that because mm. STEM STEM can help there as well as as well as helping us design new space rockets or satellites or something so I it's an it's an area that I that can cover a lot of a lot of sub areas you know say from education to development to um super high-end stuff so you know I'm the chair of the Isaac Newton Institute in Cambridge uh, which is the world's premier mathematical institute in the whole world um and they 
they have a special fellowship called the Rothschild Fellow, which is the best, um, is for the best mathematician in a particular area on each program, which is a lovely thing. But unfortunately, 97% of those people were white and male, yeah. which is, is a bit of a problem. Um, so we uh, fund the, the Kirk Fellowship for, uh, which is, for the best mathematician in a group traditionally underrepresented in mathematics to you know, have that it's a little bit money but it's is also quite a prestigious thing to have mm. and that helps people to have or it helps groups underrepresented in, in mathematics traditionally women and people of, of color have role models right at the very top of the uh the tree in STEM. This is not down about you know, teaching people how to do calculus or arithmetic. This is about you know, the world's best mathematicians in the world's yeah. most esoteric mathematical spaces. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I guess um, so. That sort of brings me on to like my last question um, about you know you talked about um, setting up a, a like a fund for. Uh, underrepresented um, mathematicians yeah um and so do you think if we increase like our like uh, inclusion and diversity and like equality in the like ph philanthropic space we would um help make those changes of like innovation and like collaboration that you spoke about earlier the the easy way of answering this is just to say yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of it's, it's one of those things diversity inclusion you know, yeah. um, is always a good thing mm. it's it's never not a good thing people should be included and we should have diversity of people from their backgrounds or genders but but also there's a sort of diversity of intellectual thought as well, the way mm. you think about a problem. Yeah. And very, very often um, organisations, whether or not they be charities or businesses or even governmental organisations, end up sort of falling into a group think where everyone thinks the same way and they all do yeah. the same things. And what you need is somebody to, is, is for, to actively promote and uh, listen to people with different points of view, people with different backgrounds. And the easiest way to get people with different points of view and different backgrounds is not to employ exclusively middle-class white males, mm. which, which it seems a little, bit, a little bit obvious. But yes, you know, the very short answer to your question is, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. let's have more diversity <laughs> and inclusion. It's a good thing. Yeah. Actually, even even if it doesn't promote innovation and collaboration within philanthropic organisations, it's still a good thing to do. Mm, yeah, and I guess those of you who don't really um, think about when we talk about like diversity and inclusion and like equality, people don't necessarily uh, think about, as you just said, um, uh, like different types ways of thinking because that is so important yeah. and. Um, yeah so it's been yeah, well, 
it's yeah. it's yes i mean it's it's you know i i thought about that a lot when i was um putting together my own firm was you know we had some people who by any standards would have struggled to get a job anywhere else because they were a bit weird <laughs> but actually the the bit weird people had some great ideas and yeah. you know as long as you met the weird people halfway then you got some really good value out of it so yeah I think that's I think that's a good thing to do diversity of thought yeah well it's been so lovely talking to you and um, very nice talking to you too yeah. Rebecca so thank you so much thank you so much to Dr Ewan Kirk for that really interesting chat and talking us through how philanthropy can be so much more than what it currently is. How with increased collaboration, we can change philanthropy from being one-off donations to really impactful projects that not only help charities, but their services that they're providing in the long run. Why it's important to not fear failure, but see it as an opportunity to learn, improve and grow. Making sure that we get people from a wide range of backgrounds so that we can continue to increase our diversity of thought which in turn will help us innovate where it's most needed thank you so much for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it and continue to enjoy the podcast now it's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors this episode of charity chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor work for good Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Thank you also to Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Aksamit for a beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest for Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. Thank you so much. Bye.